everybody. This is Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo, Iowa. I'm joined, as always, on the phone by David Mirkatani coming to you from St. Louis. We've been putting this Track Wrestling podcast out for about six months now. We've been talking about college rankings, upcoming events. We've kicked around the idea of coming up with a name for the show if you listen to last week's episode, David was offering up some border brawl apparel for winning suggestions. So you are now listening to Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. David, who gets the credit? A gentleman named Mike Maglione, who uh, actually wrestled for my father at Merrimack in 1976 and 77. And he sent you and me a text of about 20 names, and I'd say about 17 of them were better than what I, I had ever come up with. So, uh, <laughs> and you and I agreed on weighing in pretty quickly. And so shout out to Mike and his family and uh, his gears in the mail. I talked to him already about all that. So uh, we appreciate it because we had creative block for sure. Absolutely. This is not my forte coming up <laughs> with uh, catchy slogans like that. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Mike. Thanks for uh, the suggestions. Well, we got done recording last week's episode, and within uh, five minutes of, of hitting the stop button, the Boise State bombshell dropped. Uh, David, certainly a, a huge blow to, to college wrestling, a you know, program that uh, uh, here within the last 10 years has been in the top five nationally. Um, right. So, you know, just uh, you know, a blow to not only college wrestling, but particularly wrestling in the, in the Northwest. Um, Pac-12 wrestling down to, uh, you know, five teams now. Uh, still three traditional Pac-12 teams in Arizona State, Stanford, Oregon State. Uh, but, uh, you know, this puts a lot of stress on a lot of uh, programs, uh, basically, you know, west of uh, the Missouri River. Um, you know, just what are your general thoughts on, on that news that came out a week ago on Tuesday? Well, I think sadness, like all of us, I, mean, I don't think that's anything, you know, newsworthy. But, I, I mean, I've, I've been, I've known Chris Owens since I was 17 years old. We were on a high school all-star team together, and, you know, followed that program very closely for years when he was there. And, you know, he, he left but very recently. Really feel really bad for Mike Mendoza. I mean, he had, had no idea this was coming and took that job, and then the job was pulled out from underneath him in less than a year. I feel really bad for the kids that signed. I mean, there's there's a legal versus ethical issue here. And maybe by letting kids sign scholarships and then pulling the program, that's not illegal. But I'd have to think that most people would agree that it's unethical, that, you know, the the school president, in most cases, and, and in every case, the athletic director has to sign the National Letter of Intent or scholarship paperwork that a kid signs. and People had to know, obviously Mendoza didn't, that this kid's never going to use this scholarship. And I understand that, you know, people want to keep things confidential. They tried to slide this decision by people and certainly keep it as quiet as possible. But it's really, really unethical. And, you know, I don't know any of those people. I'm not trying to say they're bad people. But this was an unethical decision and how it was executed. Uh it just it's not right. It's not right to these kids. There's a kid here out of Francis Hall High School in St. Louis named Tyler Creep and he wrestled on the the East West All Metro team, tough kid and kind of a late bloomer and he goes up to Virginia Beach and makes the finals and then gets a scholarship to Boise and you know, I've seen his pictures on Facebook and stuff like that and now he's gotta figure out what he's gonna do. And I guarantee you that kid had other offers. And, you know, he turned other people down, and now he's got to kind of go back to them hat in hand. And he's just one kid of a bunch of them. And besides all the kids that are, were already on the team, they all got to go find a home now. And there ain't exactly scholarship money falling out of the sky in, in late April. So that's frustrating. And then, you know, the teams out there that you mentioned that are still in the Pac-12, I think most schools that are smart that really understand wrestling, they want their conference to be as strong as possible because it's easier to get to those gold and silver qualification levels for the nationals. And so now it makes it it's harder because they have one less team, and, and it's going to, like you said, it's going to cause them to travel more and stuff like that. So 
frustrating in a lot of ways. You know, I see a lot of people saying, let's start up Idaho or Portland State. I don't know what will happen. And uh, I just really hope the wrestling community and, you know, hopefully the NWCA can lead something here that will, will turn into something positive out of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, a couple of years back at the NCAA Championships, I ran into a uh, prominent uh, athletic administrator uh, that I've known for quite some time. And, and we started talking about uh, the changing landscape of college athletics and, and where things are headed in the future with cost of attendance and, and all that and rising costs. And, you know, I, I asked him about teams that, that uh, could be in trouble. And, and the first team out of his mouth, first name out of his mouth, Boise State. And, and you start looking at some of these mid-major programs around the country um, I, I think to me, um, this, this should be, you know, you know, and it's this way every time I think we, we get to the point where, you know, we go through this and then we start wondering what we can do for the next program and, and, you know, kind of get numb after a while, um, you know, it kind of wears off and when we let down our guard a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, kind of where we need to be looking at as a sport. What can we do to, uh, you know, protect what we have right now. Um, look at the programs that are in the most need and, and what is it that they need to, to strengthen and, uh, you know, anchor themselves in a little bit more. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but I, I, I look at, um, you know, a program like South Dakota state, for example, as, as kind of a model of, of how you get it going. You know, you, you get a, young, uh, you get a energetic, and an outside the box thinking coaching staff uh, that, that really engages with the community. Um, and and uh, you've heard, um, you know, Chris Bono and talk about it. You've heard uh, John Reeder on Matt Chat. Um, I, I think he did an interview down with uh, AJ Shop at the Big 12 Championships. Those guys feel like their administration is all in and supportive. And, and, and that's part of what it takes too is is having that strong relationship with your, your administration and, and feeling like uh, the, those people are going to go to bat for you. Um, but, uh, you know, I, that, that to me is kind of the blueprint. What can we do to, to replicate what, you know, a program like South Dakota State? And certainly they're not the only example, but, uh, you know, you look but across the country. What, yeah. Yep, exa- exactly. And, and, and you look across the country at what Campbell has done and, and, uh, you know, Princeton was in trouble, you know, a few yeah. years back. And, and, you know, they've come back and, and, you know, had some strong, strong teams and results here in recent years. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot more smart people, a lot of people smarter than me who are working on this issue right now. But uh, from, from where I sit, those are, are the shining lights and, and programs that uh, a lot of teams, uh, you know, can emulate. I agree. And I think that to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, and it's really, in my opinion, on point, is a lot of people are like, well, this program should add wrestling or that program should add wrestling. I was talking to a friend of mine about this several years ago. And he said, you know, the way to really grow wrestling is to go to a conference and get the conference on board. And then he said, to take that further, this guy's kind of a big thinker. He's like, you have to prove to them that wrestling doesn't lose money. And if it does lose money, that you can get donors or fundraisers or whatever you want to call it, you know, alumni support, whatever you want to call it, to make up the difference. So, you know, if you say a school has 9.9 scholarships and it costs you know, $40,000 a year, you round that up to 10, that's 400 grand. You have the coaching staff, recruiting budget, travel budget, equipment, all that stuff, whatever, calling a million bucks. But if you can say, look, we're going to have 35 kids on the roster, well, 25 of them are paying tuition. There's 40, there's 25 times 40,000, there's your million. So now your sport is break even. Now anything you fundraise is actually to the good now there's really no reason to not have wrestling unless it's a Title IX issue. But you give them, that's the only thing they can hide behind. So I don't think wrestling people are taught to think of, of wrestling in the business sense. And I'm a business guy that happens to love wrestling. 
but I think that's kind of the mi- mindset you have to have, you know? So I hope that some people will, will look at it from a conference point of view. Um, and I hope we can grow the sport. And, you know, this is a guy that I, I lean on. He's a smart guy and, uh, you know, good ideas. And, and hopefully, you know, maybe somebody that's listening that can actually implement some of this stuff, you know, we'll, we'll take what, what we're talking about in this into consideration and trying to make some positive change. Yeah, absolutely. We spent a, a large portion of last week's episode talking about uh, the NCAA site championships. And, and I think, uh, you know, we talked at length about uh, us bank stadium up in Minneapolis. And, and if, uh, you know, if, if uh, wrestling fans show up in droves up there and they can put 25,000 people in the stands for that tournament or more, um, it can become a spectacle. And, uh, you know, the, the national tournament, to me, is moving in the right direction. I mean, you look at where this thing was. I mean, we do a segment or we do a feature, a weekly feature on track wrestling called the Win Magazine Vault, the Win Vault, uh, yeah, where we go cool. back and, you know, we're, partner, we're partnered up with Win Magazine on this. And, and one of the things that we do is we go back and, and I'll fish through uh, – uh, you know, old wind magazines that are five years old or older um, and, and just find an old story back there that, that's cool. And, and one of the things that uh, I was thumbing through a 1997 um, uh, edition of wind magazine, uh, like a March or I think it's probably an April edition of, of 1997 after, uh, you know, the NCAA championships were, were here in the Cedar Valley over in Cedar Falls in the uni dome. And, and, uh, the next year, there, you know, uh, Mike Chapman wrote in that edition a, a story about how the next year they were going out to Cleveland. And uh, I think the uh, capacity for the arena that it was being held in in Cleveland was like 11-5. And, and you yeah. look at uh, uh, where the tournament has gone, and, and it's like if you don't have a, turn, uh, you know, a venue that seats 18,000-plus anymore, you, you can't even get in the game on this thing. And so, like Des Moines. Um, like Des Moines. They're not big enough. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, and back then, um, you know, talking about 2000, 2001, we thought it was a big deal just to get the, the, uh, just to get the finals on live television or, 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 right. the, yeah. or finals on same day broadcast, tape, tape delay on, on right. ESPN or ESPN two. And now, now you're looking at it and you can watch, um, you know, so much of the tournament now in prime time and, and, uh, live um and you can catch the entire you can catch every match in its entirety i remember, I remember back when i was growing up like like they would show uh uh like like kind of the wide world of sports you might get like the the entire finals broken down to like a, you know 20 minutes and so i have the old vhs um, tapes of that from cbs with randy cross the football player doing the commentary all ten matches were in a half an hour highlight show. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, you know we've come a long way in terms of of attendance, um, not just for the NCAA championships, but dual meet um, and, and uh, exposure uh, for the sport to uh, the uh, the mainstream sports crowd. So I think those are all positives, but uh, you know we certainly certainly need to anchor in. Um, you know, with with some of the programs we have, and it's it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride, I think, with uh, just you know the rising costs. You look at uh, how college athletics as a whole has changed, and in 20 years ago, you know, we weren't talking about you know seven eight million dollar annual salaries for for head football coaches, and and just the rising cost of of paying a football coaching staff, and, and you know it's just become such an arms race, not just in terms of facilities, but but in terms of coaching salaries and and that's put, uh, you know, the burden on, on Olympic sports. And, and so, uh, um, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's something that, uh, you know, the people that uh, in the sport that, that are smart business people. And we've seen, it, um, we've seen it in some of the programs around college wrestling. I mean, look at uh, the amount of money that Iowa State ponied up to pay Kevin Dresser and his staff and, and, and what he has raised in the short time that he's been there. You see Iowa – um, you know, has a facility that's that's not even uh, you know seven years old, and they're already talking about raising funds to build a standalone facility 
Uh, Ohio State is building one. Rutgers is building one. Campbell is making upgrades. Eastern Michigan is making upgrades. Um, you know, it's going on all over the country right now. Um, but, you know, certainly have to find a way that, to make sure that, that there aren't programs that are getting left behind. Agreed. And I think if you take an overall maybe steam of all the stuff you're talking about, and I think this is where a lot of the programs you're talking about are led by, you know, relatively young guys, is you have to play offense. You cannot play defense. And, you know, these schools that are building these facilities, like, you know, Ohio State's not in danger of losing wrestling. University of Iowa certainly not in danger of losing wrestling. I mean, but they're going ahead. They're going forward. They're not waiting until they're obsolete. They're not waiting until there's a problem. They're not waiting until they're losing recruits because their locker room is too old or whatever the case may be. And that mindset needs to be taken into growing wrestling. And you need the people that are like, look, Wrestling's an unbelievable sport. It's character building, all the stuff we love about it. But let's show administrators how it actually financially benefits the school. So there's really no other reason left for them to be involved, not to do it. And once that happens, then I think you can make some real progress. Until then, you know, there's a lot of all the old stereotypes, wrestlers are meatheads, blah, 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 you know. They can hide behind Title Nine, and, and these schools got to find a way to implement women's wrestling. And again, I go back to what my friend said. Like, I would really like to see somebody try to drive wrestling in the Big Twelve and wrestling in the uh, SEC. You know, the SEC's got the network for it. I mean, they, they televise non-revenue sports all the time. And you know, Missouri's a flagship program. They're in the MAC for wrestling, but they're an SEC member. And when Jaden Cox won a bronze medal. They were on there claiming him. So, you know, there's there's ways that they I think that this could be had. And if the whole conference commits to the sport, then you're not building a program one at a time. Like if you had the big twelve schools right now that don't have wrestling, you'd add I think seven, eight schools. It'd be it'd be significant, at least five or six, the two Kansas schools and all the other Texas schools. So it would be significant for sure. Well, even how about the, the Mountain West? I mean, that was part of the deal with Boise State that they were pointing to that, uh, you know, Boise State was the only, you know, was the only Mountain West school without a baseball program. And that's what they want to add. And uh, sitting there looking at the Mountain West mem- member in- institutes, you got Air Force, which wrestles in the Big 12, um, you know, Fresno State, part of the Pac-12 Pac coming in next year. Um, but, uh you know, Wyoming, also a Mountain West member institution in, in the Big 12. I mean, that's that's one where if, if you know, and I feel like that region of the country really needs it, too. You're talking about uh, Colorado State and Nevada and, you know, UNLV and New Mexico, San Diego State, uh, San Jose State, Utah State. To me, if, if uh, you know, it's, it's like kind of one of those deals where if you, you ever win the Powerball and you could go start a college wrestling program anywhere, where would you want to, where would you want to start one, you know, for the good of the sport? And to me, um, boy, San Diego state seems like sure. one, with just, just the amount of talent in that state and how beautiful it is out there. And, uh, just how bad that, that region of the country needs more opportunities. You're talking about California, the largest participation numbers in the United States. And, and you're, you're talking about now with, with next year, there will be four schools, uh, out there with Fresno and Bakersfield and, and Stanford and Cal Poly, but uh, boy, you know, Stanford, uh, you know, I, I know I wasn't getting into Stanford and I'm not sure I could have gotten into Cal Poly either. And so uh, um, there, there just aren't a ton of opportunities for kids out there and, and uh ton of good high school wrestlers out in that region of the country. I think, you're absolutely right. I think you could put a program anyway. You could put it in fifth program or fourth program in Iowa, and it would be good. You're right about California. We just got to get the right leadership that starts presenting wrestling as a financially viable vehicle for school presidents and universities and get good leadership and get kids on these programs that want to be good students and good citizens. That's how you're going to break this chain because the 
we're adding programs at, you know, NAI and junior college and these other levels, but, you know, we're losing programs at Division One. I. I mean, Fresno adding is a gigantic, you know, that's like a, you know, a Band-Aid on the problem. But, we're, you know, if you look at the numbers and how it's going, it's it's terrible and it's not it's not encouraging. You know, I talked to some guys that are they're smart and leaders and we kick ideas around and hopefully, you know, be something positive that can come out of this because otherwise it's just, it's for nothing. Well, we got uh, a lot more to talk about here. Um, coaches on the move, uh, you know, Travis Paulson lands at Virginia, uh, Angel Escobedo goes back to Indiana. So a couple former Iowa State assistants find homes. Uh, Zach Epperly announces that uh, he is going to forego his final year of eligibility of Virginia Tech. So that's uh, uh, a key piece of the puzzle that, uh, you know, the Hokies are going to be missing next year. I mean, you, you look at uh, uh, what they had coming back, and, I mean, they lose their bookends in, in uh, Joey Dance and, and tie walls, but, uh, you know, a pretty good lineup coming back nonetheless. And, and that's kind of a devastating blow for, for Virginia Tech and Tony Roby in his first full season as the head coach. Uh, David, what, uh, anything in that uh, discussion there that, that you want to touch upon, you know, that, that transpired here in the last week and in terms of uh, roster and, and coaching moves? I think the Epperly thing probably surprised all of us, but, you know, I don't think guys that didn't wrestle Division One for four years probably have any idea what your body goes through. And he looks, sounds like a really smart kid. He's got a degree in real estate, and if you can make a lot of money in that, and, you know, I, you know my, my guy is, you know, probably very popular out there, and a lot of who your real estate agent is is just based on word of mouth, and I want to work with this person over that person. So I think that's you know, it's an interesting decision, but you know, I'm sure it was well thought out. Paulson, the UVA, um, Mark Ellis is a Mizzou guy, and I heard he was going to the seminary. I had no idea who they replaced him with, but so that's interesting. And then two of the things that I saw that were kind of interesting to me was Dayton Racer to Ohio State. It feels like, you know, two of the holes they had, they plugged with him and Tishon Campbell. Um, and then, you know, obviously not everybody transitions perfectly from junior college, but Racer's a pretty talented guy. He was a D1 recruit coming out the first time. And then I'm not saying this because you did it, but I really enjoyed the interview with uh, Isaiah Martinez that was up on track. And uh, he seems like a guy who's handled the loss really well. And, you know, you don't want to bet against or for anybody, but that guy seems like he's loaded for bear and he's going to be a hard guy to, you know, stop from getting his third title. It, it, it seems like he's taking it personally and he's really going to work on specific things to improve. And sometimes you only start really working to improve it until after you lose a match. So I thought, I thought that interview was really well done. Yeah. I really enjoy my conversations with Isaiah. I, I've always enjoyed talking to him. always enjoyed interviewing him. Uh, just a guy that, that, uh, you know, there's some guys that, uh, you know, you know, they'll, they'll play the game and they'll, they'll do the interviews, but they don't really, <laughs> you, don't really want to, you know, you can tell right. that it's not their favorite yeah. thing in the world to do. And, and, uh, certainly I don't, I don't think this was an easy interview for Isaiah by any stretch. He said he'd been laying low since the NCAA championships, hadn't done uh, any interviews until then, but, uh, um, you know, I, I, I uh, appreciate the fact that he took the time to do it. He was uh, down in uh, Altoona or Pleasant Hill at Southeast Polk High School where uh, Corey Hi. Clark and, and Alex Meyer and Willie Miklas uh, wrestled. It was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I interviewed uh, Isaiah up on their wall of state champions down there. And uh, right. uh, Southeast, Southeast Polk's a program that, that in the last 10 years has, has really just exploded. And, and uh, um, um, they uh, – on their wall have have their wall of state champions and, and Jessman Smith, two time All American for the Hawkeyes, his picture was up right behind Isaiah and I, I made the mention that uh uh you know, I said, uh, you're right here in the heart of the Hawkeye country and then you know, you got Corey Clark and Alex Meyer up on the wall behind you and he said he you know, that's one of the things. He he uh said that, that he always loves coming to Iowa. He feels like, you know, obviously wrestling's important here and people like his style and they've always uh treated him well and, and opened their arms to him and appreciated his style of wrestling. And, 
it was it was great seeing him interact with the young kids and and some of the stuff that he was teaching. Uh, I, I always enjoy watching guys of that caliber teach technique and some of the tricks that they have. And uh, you know, it's certainly uh, no exception with with Isaiah. Lots of cool stuff he was showing off the other day, and it was it was interesting to watch it too because you know he, you know wrestles left handed and um, just uh, you know a different way of. You know, watching what he teaches and and um, seeing kids turn it around from the other side and you know fascinating to me to watch watch that stuff and um, you know in this day and age with with the internet and video out there you know you know you don't see a lot of people teaching technique a, a lot of high level technique being taught out there just because uh, you know people don't want their stuff being broken down inside and out while they're still competing but uh, it was it was neat to watch it you know, from an insider standpoint the other day. So that was a lot of fun. I'd encourage you, if you haven't watched that interview, um, go check it out. It's still up on uh, the Track Wrestling homepage. Um, yeah. David, we're going to have, uh, uh, you know, some high-quality high school wrestling coming up uh, here in the next couple of days on Track Wrestling, the, the Western Junior Regionals out in Las Vegas, kicking things off out there. Uh, you've had a chance to interview his dad a couple times. For Matt Chat, Nelson Brands, two-time Iowa State champ, is going to be in the field. He's registered yeah. out there. Uh, Tyler Eichens, a, a Minnesota State champion. Anthony Montalvo, Matthew Olguin, Luca Wick, some top kids from California, are pre-registered for that tournament as well. Both of us, we're going to be out there. Uh, it's going to be the first time that I've been to the Open and uh, all the festivities leading up to it. Uh, what... Uh, you know, besides the obvious, the, the possible Jordan Burroughs, David, uh, Jordan Burroughs, Kyle Dake, excuse me, I got David Taylor in my mind. Sure. Uh, because we ran a feature on David Taylor. You can check that out on Track Wrestling as well. He's going to be out there at 86 kilos, but the big one that everybody's talking about, Burroughs and Dake potentially looming out there in Vegas. What do you have your eye on? I think 57 kilos is interesting because just, you know, Ramos has dominated that weight class for a long time and then, you know, obviously lost at the trials. And you got a lot of guys, you know, I don't want to slight anybody, but like the Megalutuses, the Delgados, my guy Nation is down there. I mean, and I think one of the overriding things that's going to be interesting is how these, you know, these two days of wrestling and, you know, if they're doing the two-day weigh-ins and all that kind of stuff, how that's going to shake out. Uh, you know, obviously it's Steber at 61 and, and Cox at 86 and Snyder at 97, you know, are sitting till the finals. This is the first time in forever that Burroughs hasn't sat. So that's, that's an interesting part. And then potentially you could see a Molinero, uh, Zane match Rutherford. And that would be awfully interesting with, uh, you know, those guys probably having, you know, train together a lot when they were both at Penn State. So, I mean, the thing that that tournament's like it doesn't get the same hype of like the NCAA nationals, like the quarters or semifinals. But there's just so many freaking studs going at once. Like, there's it's just impossible not to miss some great matches. So, um, you know, I'm going to be poking around there, talking to a few people, trying to line up some stuff for match and working on some other things. But it's going to be super fun to watch those guys and, and the way points work in freestyle it you know, a couple of those matches. I mean, Bo Nickel at 86, Gabe Dean at 86, going to be really interesting to see how some of the college guys transition, you know, whether they can do it quickly. Cause you, know, you look at two of the medalists at the Olympics for guys, obviously still have college eligibility. So that's, that's an interesting part to it as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've seen, so much success that the United States has had here in the last few years at the age division um, levels internationally, um, cadet champions, junior champions, transitioning right into um, instant college success. And, uh, you know, they're certainly not wasting any time getting uh, into having that kind of success on the senior level as well. And so that, uh, you know, it's certainly – adds another element of intrigue to this, watching these college guys come out and see who, uh, you know, who can make an instant splash. I mean, look at a guy like Ramos, you know, you mentioned him and, and he hasn't even won a uh, big 10 championship until his senior year at Iowa. And then he wins the big tens and then he wins the NCAAs. And then, 
you know, what was it, like a month and a half, two months later, he wins, uh, uh, you know, the World Team Trials. And, and so we're seeing guys that are, are making uh, making instant uh, transitions right into having freestyle success. And so I, th- I think that's pretty cool. Um, lots of cool stuff going on out there, too. I mean, with uh, World Team Trials for the women and the Greco-Roman team, um, you know, the uh, – you know, the young college stars, the the top high school stars are going to be out there competing as well. So, uh, uh, you know, just the UW, you know, UWW Junior Freestyle Nationals and, and Greco Nationals. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, just a ton of good wrestling out there over the course of, uh, you know, the next uh, several days. I think that's <laughs> I think that's the most accurate thing either one of us have said in the last half an hour. <laughs> the wrestling is going to be unbelievably on point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's going to be really fun yeah. to watch. Yeah. So so we've been breaking down. David's been breaking down uh, five teams per week here for the last couple of weeks. Uh, kind of looking back at uh, 2017, how they finished up at the NCAA championships, looking and projecting to 2018. Uh, David, who's on the the list for this week? South Dakota State was 16th with 28 and a half. North Carolina State was 17th with 26. UNI was 18th with 25 and a half. Rutgers 19th with 24 and a half. Edinburgh 20th with 20 and a half. Uh, kind of just with South Dakota State, they I you know I the couple of those guys that had been on match chat were nice enough to send their lineups over to make it a little easier. And uh, their big studs that are coming back are Gross, Silverberg, David Kocher, Nate Roeder. And then, you know, they've got some other guys that, you know, they got like a Brett Bai that can get in the lineup. One of the Portillo brothers will end up wrestling at 25. A couple of the other weights are up in the air. It really looks like the big chance for them to improve is at 97 with Roeder. He beat guys like Weigel during the year that ended up being All-Americans, but he himself only scored a half a point. And they scored five and a half points with Alex Kocher at 49. So it's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to have to get, they're going to have to make up those points, but they have a lot of weights. I mean, they scored 28 and a half. Gross scored 19 and a half of those, so there's nine. And then uh, 49 scored another five and a half. So it feels like they can make that up and get in that 30-point range again. I'm sure that's not what those guys are looking for. I'm sure they want to make big strides, but it feels like that that's a realistic thing for them, and that might put them in the you know top 15 again. Do you kind of see it the same way, or are you looking at it yeah. differently? No, absolutely. I, I, I agree, and, and it's uh, you know a program that uh, generated some momentum here, and we talked about it, or I talked about it here. Uh, several minutes ago in terms of, of the big picture and, and promotion and all of that. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I feel like um, Bono and and uh, John Reeder were doing exceptional things before um, A.J. Shop came on board, but it feels like A.J. Shop has just added a whole other um, dimension to the, to the wrestling up there with, with the top position stuff that uh, he's added to Seth Gross's game in particular. And, and I think that that's uh, made them a much more diverse program in terms of, of skills. And I, it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, we saw Seth Gross make a huge jump. And, and, you know, partially, you know, I think maybe some of that is due to going down to 33 and being able to uh, have a little bit more of a length advantage down there. Um, and a know, strength top. advantage, too, probably. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh uh, but but I I don't think it's as simple as just going down a weight and going from round to twelve to uh, finals. Uh, you know the NCAA finals <laughs> because because thirty three yeah. was thirty three was no uh, no joke this year with with the level of talent that was back there and and, and it never is. It's like thirty three is loaded year after year after year and and deep and and so uh, I'm just kind of curious if they can, you know, have somebody on this list and, you know, that we're talking about, you know, Zilverberg coach or Rotor, um, guys like that that make, make a, a big jump a year from now that we're talking about them, you know, being all Americans and on that stand. Yeah. I, I echo everything you say and just to, you know, compound it a little bit and then we'll go to NC state Bono and reader both have independently told me, how they learn stuff from shop every day. 
So that guy just must be a wizard on top, and that must be great at teaching it as well. Uh, Frank Beasley, shout out to him for sending me the lineup for NC State because they have some changes. They're going to have, you know, then obviously stuff changes, but their projected lineup is Foz again at 25, Tariq Wilson or Kellen Devlin at 33, Jack at 41, Jamal Morris is going to go all the way up to 49 and challenge Bo Donahue. They're going to have one of the Bullard twins or Hidley at 57, the other Bullard twin or Hammond at 65, Renan at 74, Renda will be back. That's a huge, huge get for them or return for them at 84. Either Machiavello or Malik McDonald at 97, Boykin and Rogers at heavyweight. I don't see anybody on this team scoring less points than they did last year, and they're going to score a lot more points at 84. And and Renan's a guy like, you know, we've talked about some of these schools that had a really, really stud recruiting classes like UVA last week. It feels like they can make big jumps at 74 and 84. You know, Fogs is a guy, if he meddled, it wouldn't shock you. And they, they got, a, you know, they had the number one recruiting class, you know, a year ago, how, how you count years. But so this is when you, they redshirted almost all of those kids. This is where you start to th- see NC State start, can, start making a move up, up the, uh, up the team standings, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and they were a team that qualified all 10. You look at uh, some of these teams on paper and, and the discrepancy between where they are in the dual rankings and where they were in the team projected standings. And, uh, you know, NC State was constantly throughout the year, consistently throughout the year, um, you know, several notches ahead in the dual rankings than where they were individually. And, and so, you know, that speaks to the one through ten balance that they have, and and um, now you start looking at it. Can they get some more guys on the stand? And and I, I think Renda's going to be a force at 184. Um, you know, he's he's going to be. You know, we're talking about a guy that uh, you know was a, a top four guy here a year ago, and uh, you know, in that way, year after year. Um, look at the guys that he's had to contend with at, at that weight class. Then another deep, deep weight class. He's coming back. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, what do we have? Machiavello, he was seated about probably 10th, I want to say, That's going right. to the NCAA championships yeah. right around there. Um, Kevin Jack, a guy that uh, I, I think was like 30 and 1 going into the NCAA championships. Um, they have some guys that, that can go deep into the tournament and score a lot of points. And then you start bringing uh, some of these other young, talented guys along. Uh, Fawz, if he, you know, he could climb up that ladder. Uh, certainly a team that, uh, you know, if they're in the top ten next year uh, in Cleveland, it wouldn't totally shock me. You figure Jack and Renda alone could score 26 points. And then you got eight guys to do better. they got a lot of talented guys. So yeah. Uh, next, you and I. Um, you might be able to help me on this lineup, but it looks like it'd be Yates or Schwarm or Roweeder at 25, and Dylan Peters was a stud, but you know had injuries and only scored one point in national, so it doesn't really hurt him too much there. Albert 33, they got three or four guys at 41, Max Thompson 49, Peyton Moore 57, Bryce Steyer 65, Taylor Lujan 74, Drew Foster 84, Holschlag 97. And probably Isley or Walsh at heavyweight. So this team again feels like I don't see anybody really scoring a lot less points than that. They're very similar to NC State, except they just don't have a returning All-American coming off a red shirt. I know you're close to that program. I mean, you, do you see brighter days ahead for them? Absolutely. I, I think looking at this squad, I mean, you talk about top recruiting classes. It was a couple of years back. Uh, you know, when they got Thompson and Steyer and Lujan and, and that group. Um, Holschlag, yeah. Yeah, Holschlag, uh, throw him in there. That uh, They were ranked in the top five nationally in terms of recruiting classes. Combine those guys with, um, you know, backing that class up with, with a guy like Rudy Yates and, and uh, Carter Isley uh, as, a you know, a 25, 33-pounder in Yates and then Isley at heavyweight. And, and they've really supplemented that lineup in uh, – yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I kind of echo what I just said about uh, NC State in, in that uh, this, this is a team that could uh, make a make a big move next year. 
And yeah. uh, you, you look at you look at a guy like Holschlag that uh, you know posted some pretty good wins this year at 97, and I, and I don't know what he was weighing, maybe 91, 92, but but at the beginning of the year, um, you know, I, I, he, he's a guy when they recruited him. I think you know there there were some other people that recruited him, pictured him as a 74 pounder. He kind of started the year in contention with with Foster for the you know 184 pound job, made the move up to 197, won some big matches in there. And, uh, you know, that's another guy that, you know, give him a summer and fall to adjust to the weight class and get his body built up. And, uh, you know, that that's a guy that could be in contention for, for a spot on that stand as well. Yeah. And Holschlag and Thompson both wrestled in Border Brawl. And they were actually at the Border Brawl watching it. I talked to Holschlag about that. And he's like, yeah, coach, I'm just going to get huge this summer. Now that I know I'm going 97, I'm like, that's a good problem to have. So. Uh, Rutgers next, 24 and a half. They've got a lot of guys that are interesting. They can either, uh, Pezzo or McCall at 25, Del Vecchio or Dippery at 33, Ashnault's back at 41. It looks like Geraldo would, will step in at 49. They have Van Brill, and I don't know if Richie Lewis can get a medical redshirt. I'm going to circle back to that at 57. Willie Scott or Payton at 65, Pagano 74. Gravina, 84, looks like maybe Carenti or a couple other kids at 97, and nobody really jumped off their roster at heavyweight. Um, it looks like they're going to lose points at 49 because they had an All-American that was a senior there. But if Richie Lewis comes back, and I don't I haven't heard anything about that, I mean, it's a long time ago, but he beat Joey Lavalley on the undercard of the All-Star meet, who ended up being a national finalist. So it feels like if that happens, they could at least equal what they did last year. And again, so they've got a lot of guys, you know, they're 24 and a half points at 41 and 49 were 17 and a half of them. So it feels like, again, they've got guys that had good wins during the year, like Pagano, Gravina, Del Vecchio, you know, Van Brill or Lewis, those kind of guys. It feels like they could bump up to maybe 30 or 35 points as well. Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, uh, you know, a guy like Gravina, um, you know, it certainly didn't, uh, didn't come together for him at, at the end of the year as well as it was at the beginning of the year. But, uh, man, that's a guy that, uh, seems like he was ranked like right around 12, you know, most of the, most of the year there, you, you had that top tier of, of eight, nine, pretty steady, um, top notch guys at 184 and, you start looking down the list here, and, and Gabe Dean is gone, Dudley is gone, Brooks is gone, uh, Boyd is a senior, um, Nate Jackson, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, there, uh, there's some other guys at that weight class. I know that uh, you know it's escaping me right now that that are seniors, uh, Jack Deco, uh, yeah. as well. So so uh, 184 stands out quite a bit, and that's you know that's a guy there, Gravina that. Uh, you know, he could make a move and yeah. uh, you know be on be on that stand a year from now. So uh pretty interesting to see what's gonna happen there. Van Brill and Lewis you mentioned uh you know they're gonna have a pretty solid hundred and fifty seven pounder, whoever it is there. Um you know, so uh Pagano we saw you know him post some big wins uh throughout the year. Um took out uh uh you know Ryan Priest at Lehigh in, in the NWCA um, uh, dual championship series. So, so that's, you know, that's certainly a team that uh, can, can move up the, the ladder a little bit, but uh, as you mentioned, they get points to replace at 149. You know, we saw Kenny Theobald have that uh, tremendous tournament uh, where he comes on and, and uh, goes from, from an unseeded guy to, or actually 15th seed, um, to knocking off uh, Anthony Colica in the, the Thursday night second round and uh, you know, making it to the quarters and coming back and finding a place on the stand. So, uh, you know, Rutgers has some, some work to do in, in replacing him, but uh, seems like a program that also is, um, you know, gradually making the climb. For sure. I agree. And then you got Edinburgh at 20. They scored 20 and a half points. And they spread out. They had a lot of guys that scored points. Sean Russell scored eight points. He's back. Corbin Myers, two and a half. He's back. 41 will either be Nate Hagan, Henry, or Ozzie Lugo. 
Uh, Pat Lugo at 49 only scored a half, and I have him as a big jumper, I feel like. There's really, you know, he, he you know, you beat Sorensen, you obviously your ceiling is very high. Um, I'm not sure who will be at 57. Then they have Austin Matthews, Ty Schopstall, Dakota Gear at 65, 74, 84. Things look a little up in the air at 97, and Billy Miller back in heavyweight. I know you're a big Schopstall fan, and I think we both like Austin Matthews. It's kind of interesting. This week, it feels like all of these teams could either stay the same or move up which is very different from the last couple of weeks where it felt like, you know, I'm looking at it, we felt like Minnesota, Cornell, Nebraska, Illinois, and Wisconsin would probably fall back. It feels like there could be kind of a changing of the guard in kind of this, you know, 6 to 20 range. So you see Edinburgh going up like I do? Well, yeah, the, like uh, when, when you were saying that, the first thought that popped into my mind was all the, the – uh... Uh, parody we had this year with like seven, eight through 13 in our rankings, 14 in our rankings. And, you know, the, the top five or six stayed pretty steady, seven, maybe even uh, at a point in the year, um, those teams stayed pretty static. But then, you know, it, it, when we do our rankings week after week, you know, the first thing I would look to is, is the team rankings to see, who was going to be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and how close that race was because, uh, you know, one match, really, and one upset could uh, uh, completely shuffle the order there. And and we saw, um, you know, shoot, like Minnesota and, and ASU, Wisconsin, Illinois, um, Cornell. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was, was in that, that, you know, Wisconsin, I think, um, you know, Michigan popped in there one week. Uh, Lehigh was in that that crowd. So, I have a feeling that it's going to be pretty similar next year, and and it may be a a bigger cluster of teams, and and certainly Edinburgh may be uh, may be in that as well. I mean, the teams that uh, that we're talking about today, um, Rutgers, South Dakota State, Edinburgh, um, you know, they were all uh, NC State. Um, they were all kind of jumbled in that same kind of tier. Um, throughout yeah. the year, so so it's going to be interesting to see which which teams can kind of separate themselves and and you know what what we're talking about here. Really, all it takes is is one guy to to go from that round of twelve um, or or a little bit deeper and and make a run. Um, like like look at what Seth Seth Gross did this year. Um, yeah, you know nineteen nineteen points or whatever it was that he scored. And uh, going from maybe just a couple a year ago or one a year ago, I don't remember what it was. Maybe. Um, one and a half, somewhere in there, whatever he scored, uh, that you're talking about like a 17, 18 point gain that South Dakota State experienced, and, and that takes you up about 20, 25 spots in the standings. So, for you know, maybe sure, even more. Maybe we even look more. at Rutgers, so, uh, and they scored 24 and a half at 19th, and you go to Virginia at 15th at 29 and a half. That's literally like one guy getting a defensive pin in the round of 12 instead of losing, like just catching a guy. And you get, you know, the hat, you get, you instantly get those advancement points, the pin points and the eighth place points. And all of a sudden you're 15th, you're not 19th. So I agree. There's going to be a lot of, you know, Oh my God, you know, Andy Hamilton placed fourth out of the 13th seed and stuff like that. And I think we're going to see, you know, it always happens, right? I mean, you know, if you looked at the 10 seeds this year, I was looking at when I was putting this together, and, you know, nobody would have guessed. I mean, I, I shouldn't say nobody, but if you had played a parlay of Darion Cruz and, uh, uh, oh, 165, Imar get, getting upset, you know, that's a, if you play that, you don't want a lot of money putting 20 bucks down both those guys, you know, winning Vincenzo. So, I mean, you know, you look at the rankings at the beginning of the year, Mark Hall was in red shirt. You know, I mean, there, there were some guys that, you know, stayed number one all year, you know, like 97 and heavyweight and stuff, and, you know, Dean Heil and Zane and the Matrix. But a lot of these other guys that were ups and downs, and, you know, now we'll, we'll start digging into the, the weight class rankings here in the next couple of weeks and kind of go through one by one or maybe two at a time, and that'll give us some stuff to kick around. But, you know, it, it does feel like if, if I had to say overall, it feels like, the biggest jump I see is probably Michigan, 
and uh, Arizona State. I think those schools could could easily go from 47 and a half and 39 points respectively, really like into the 80s. I think they could, you know, you know, double their point totals with what they got going on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm just pulling up the the 2016 results. And South Dakota State was 39th with seven and a half points. Seth Rose scored two points um, in 2016. You take that up uh, a year later, and uh, South Dakota State 28 and a half points, 16th place. And uh, certainly, Coacher being on the stand as well that that helped matters. But uh, you know, we're talking about uh, two guys really that uh, Gross scoring 19 and a half points, Alex Coacher scoring five and a half, and that takes them up uh, 23 points in the standings. So uh, yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot when when you're talking about uh, you know teams in that neck of the woods being able to make a a monumental jump. So. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see which team or two or three uh, can, you know, that were sitting down there in the 20, you know, 30 to 40 range. If, if uh, you got to think that there's going to be one or two that pops up into the top 20. So it'll be fascinating to see which, uh, which teams those are that make the jump between now and, and a year from now. For sure. That's why it's always fun to watch. Cause no matter how much we think we know, we always end up being wrong about stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, who do you have on match chat this week, David? I have the legend, Arm Artori. Couldn't be more excited about it. Um, big shout-out to Lee Pritz for getting that interview. Art doesn't do interviews very often. Was absolutely um, – he's one of the guys that, you know, I, I interviewed in a short version, John Smith, Kenny Monday, Eric Albertson, guys like that, um, Rich Bender. They all speak of art in such reverence, and he was just awesome. Um, he tells some great stories about women's wrestling, about saving Olympic wrestling, about how Sunkiss Kids started, about how his success in business um, influences how he teaches or how he how he's trying to grow wrestling. And the guy is literally one of the most generous people in the wrestling world. You know, there's probably not five guys more generous than him and just a humble, humble guy. He's one of the guys I want to make sure I get to shake his hand in person when I get out there to Vegas in a couple of days. He just, it was a huge favor for him to do that. Um, it may be the interview I've been most nervous about doing, and uh, I, I hope I did him justice because he was really awesome. Well, anything else you want to cover this week? No, man, safe travels, and I guess I'll see you out there in a couple of days, right? Yep. Yep. Likewise. And uh, like I said, that'll do it for uh, this week's edition of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirkatani. Thank you for listening. Check back to trackwrestling.com for coverage from Las Vegas. And if you are traveling out there or traveling anywhere and you want to download and listen on the go, you can catch us through the Matt Talk Podcast Network on iTunes. Thanks again, everybody. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.